Please don't leave me. I love you. Oh, Red, please don't go. You can't leave me, please. I'll never forgive you. Aloha. Auf Wiedersehen. Bonsoir. Saranora. And all those goodbye things, baby. Well, hello, everyone. It's Christine Marie Mason, your host for the Rose Woman Podcast. The topic, as you might have guessed from that intro, today is leaving. The right to leave, what to do if you're left, how to gracefully leave, why it's so difficult, what sensory addiction and other neuroscience says now about how ending relationships impacts our biology. It stems out of a situation that I'm witnessing in the larger community uh, where a woman who has been left has really turned on her ex with a level of vindiction and harassment that is rarely seen. And for me, that triggered such an old experience from my own life. Uh, When I was very young, I was um, married early, and it was a highly coercive situation. It took me a very long time to leave. It took me a good four tries physically to get out with the kids, and probably a decade in total. And then when I finally did leave and file for divorce, it dragged out for four years with death threats and other things. And finally, I was able to land on my own with, uh, you know, unemployed, $4,000, no alimony, no child support, just start over. But I was so happy to be free. And, you know, now in retrospect, because that was so long ago, I was like, I had the right to leave. Why did the culture allow that level of abuse? And why is this sort of possessing of another uh, part of our accepted romantic norm? So all of those questions were floating around in deciding to do this episode. So I'd like to start out with a poem, uh, which was kind of shocking, but but really uh, because of the way it reframed divorce and and. Keep in mind, I'm not just talking about divorce here, but any kind of separation or leaving in the episode. But it's a poem called In Praise of Their Divorce by Tony Hoagland, a poet who just died in 2018, a really wonderful poet. Here we go. And when I heard about the divorce of my friends, I couldn't help but be proud of them. That man and that woman setting off in different directions, like pilgrims in a proverb, him to buy his very own toaster oven, her seeking a prescription for sleeping pills, Let us keep in mind the hidden forces which had struggled underground for years to push their way to the surface and that finally did, cracking the crust, moving the plates of earth apart, releasing the pent-up energy required for them to rent their own apartments, for her to join the softball league for single mothers, for him to read George the Giraffe over his speakerphone at bedtime to the six-year-old. The Bible says, be fruitful and multiply. But is it not also fruitful to subtract and to divide? Because if marriage is a kind of womb, divorce is the being born again. Alimony is the placenta one of them will eat. Loneliness is the name of the wet nurse. Regret is the elementary school. Endurance is the graduation. So do not say that they are splattered like drop lasagna or dead in the head-on collision of cliches or nailed on the cross of their competing narratives. What is taken apart is not utterly demolished. It is like a great mysterious egg in Kansas that has cracked and hatched two big bewildered birds. 
It is two spaceships coming out of retirement, flying away from their dead world, the burning booster rocket of divorce falling off behind them, the bystanders pointing at the sky and saying, look, that's Tony Hoagland. So, you know, it is an opportunity when you're separating to grow and to be born again. But when you're in the middle of it, it sure can be painful. So today we have some additions from multiple researchers and scientists on the topic of the right to leave. So did you know that on average, a marriage will end in divorce after 7.7 years? So that old movie, The Seven-Year Itch, was real. And we all know that there are a lot of reasons people choose to separate or end a relationship. It can be communication problems, the number one thing, uh, just misunderstandings, conflict, and resentment that builds up over time, growing apart, people grow in different directions, Maybe you end up having a difference in values or goals for your life. A lot of times it's basic things like money or sexual incompatibility. can be trust issues and that could be broken trust within the relationship itself. You know, infidelity or lying that can't be repaired or trust that the partner will show up in a way that you can rely on. It can also, you know, really be around just abuse and or things that people carry into the relationship, their attachment style, um, their emotional issues, you know, so there are a lot of reasons. And while everyone's story is unique, everyone's story is often also a template that many of us can relate to. So, you know, no, you're not alone. But that doesn't mean that it's easy. You know, it's, it's hard to end a relationship for a lot of reasons. We invest a lot of time and energy and emotion. It can be really hard to imagine life without that person, depending on how long we've been in it. And there's a lot of fear often ending a relationship, um, particularly one that's domestic. We have a lot of uncertainty about the future. We could be afraid to be alone or not finding another partner or really facing all of the challenges of starting over. For most people, it causes a significant change in their standard of living, um, can really involve major changes in their friend circle. Often it impacts work, location, children. Uh, so there's a lot of reasons to be a little unsettled if you're approaching the end of something. And depending on how much social pressure you're experiencing, uh, you know, I, I met someone last weekend who, even though he divorced 10 years ago, he still feels like his marriage was a failure. And, you know, I like to say that the marriage was a, was a success until it wasn't anymore. And this whole idea that we have one relationship and it's successful and we do it till we're 50 years in or 60 years in and then we die, that's a pretty rare occurrence. So the idea that breaking up is a failure or you know, you're going to disappoint your parents or your friends, that, that's real, but that social pressure shouldn't get in the way of making a healthy choice. And then, you know, there's also this, oh my God, I heard this beautiful quote by an author named Mark's, uh, sorry, Mark Aram. Uh, and he says, uh, their failure of memory was a strange resilience. And that speaks to me of how many memories we create with another person, our shared experiences that, that weave us into a, 
a romanticized narrative of how it is and letting go of the dream of how it could be is also a big part of the grieving. Many people hope for reconciliation long after the relationship has ended or have fantasies of somehow the parts that were broken being amended and being able to try again. I mean, some people marry the same person and divorce the same person over and over. Uh, They must have some sort of karmic contract. But you know, know that these are complex and have deep compassion for yourself, whether you're the one doing the leaving or you're the one being sort of left, or if it's mutual. And I also want to take a moment to just talk about it as a straight up biological occurrence. We've talked before about oxytocin and dopamine and serotonin. There are whole episodes on these neurotransmitters in the system, but that, you know, these hormones are released when you hug, when you kiss, when you do any kind of social bonding, any kind of attachment. And romantic attachment is an oxytocin rocket booster, an oxytocin rocket booster. And, you know, dopamine plays a role in forming long-term romantic bonds and high levels of serotonin increase when you're in a social bond. So, you know, you have all kinds of things that are straight up biological that result in almost an addiction to your person. In fact, the body can become habituated or addicted to sex or a relationship with one particular person because of those chemicals in the brain that are associated with pleasure and reward. So when you have sex with someone you're attracted to, the brain releases a lot of chemicals like the ones we mentioned, dopamine, oxytocin, and serotonin that create feelings of pleasure, attachment, and intimacy and can reinforce the desire to have sex with that person again. And so over time, our brains become habituated to the particular sensory cues associated with that person, like their scent, their pheromones, their touch. And it becomes associated with the pleasure and reward of sex and leads to an increased desire, even an addiction for that particular partner. So you literally are getting addicted to one person. The process is called sensory addiction. And it's not always bad because it's part of how we bond and how we make life pairs um, to raise families and all of those things. But it really can make it difficult to separate from a partner or move on after the relationship has ended. So the euphoria that you feel in a romantic relationship, this addiction is very similar to drugs. And that when you come out of a relationship, the sudden withdrawal of these chemicals can trigger withdrawal symptoms that are like those experienced when you stop using drugs. The symptoms can include such things as intense cravings for your ex, feelings of anxiety, depression, and sadness, changes in appetite and sleeping patterns, a loss of interest in activities that you once found pleasurable, physical symptoms like headaches and muscle tension. And sometimes these can be so bad that they interfere with daily life, like you can't go to work, you can't sleep, and maybe you need some help. Not everyone has a drug withdrawal experience, but some people might not have any at all, but it can happen. So just knowing that, and again, knowing what to expect, like if you're going to go through this, big breath, I'm going to experience it potentially as a drug withdrawal. I've read that it takes about six weeks to get a person out of your system. I did some research on that, and it says there's no definitive amount, but that like 40 to 60 day cycle seems to be generally referred to. I could not find the original research, but try it out for yourself. So if you are the lever, there are some ways that you can try to make it more graceful. I think the first one in all the research was to be really clear like don't be 
in and out like I'm thinking about it or maybe like that that produces anxiety and distrust and like people don't know where they stand. So as clear as you can be about your feelings and your reasons for leaving without blame or criticism, just express your own feelings and needs. If you need some practice in how to express your feelings and need, you might look at Marshall Rosenberg's NVC curriculum, which teaches you how to speak from a position of your own needs without blaming the other. The second thing is to be mindful of the time and place. Don't break up in the car driving into the city, okay? Don't break up when the children are in the room. Find a place that considers the other person's feelings and choose a space that will allow for private and respectful conversation. Another tip is to try to be as respectful as possible. Even if you don't want to be in relationship with them, no name calling, no insults, just constructive, compassionate, no. If you're in a volatile relationship, you might have to do this over email or through a letter or some kind of written form of communication because there will be a response. If you have a decent communication with your person, then you'll be able to sit and listen and feel their response and hold it as they process their emotions, even if they don't agree with your decision. You'll know when, if someone starts being abusive to you or blaming or shaming or whatever, you'll know how to say, I see you're having a really hard time with this and walk away uh, gracefully and protect yourself not be screamed at for making a choice to leave. You have the right to leave. Um, but if you can, you know, be open to listening. Steal yourself, prepare. It's going to be very rarely does someone say, yeah, I know. Have a great life. You know, there's a lot of emotions, but don't avoid it. You can hold it. You're, you're owning in this whole process your decision to end the relationship and giving the other person space and time if it's coming to them as a surprise, giving them the space and time to process is a really a gift to both of you. So overcoming sensory addiction, how long it takes, how long it takes to like let go of the dream varies by intensity and duration of the relationship, attachment styles, people's overall psychological and emotional health. Uh, but here are some tips from the experts. Cut off all contact if you have an addiction. Uh, avoid contact with the other person as much as possible. Unfollow them or snooze them on social media. Avoid places you're likely to run into them. Help reduce the frequency of sensory cues that will trigger the memories or emotions associated with that person. The second thing is focusing on your self-care. Exercise, healthy eating, getting enough sleep, pleasure, anything that helps you feel good about yourself. Invest in your life force. Seeking outside support, trusted friends, family members, that kind of thing, so that you can process your own feelings and move forward in a healthy way. It's a great time to invest in a relationship coach or advisor so that you can learn your learnings and not carry that into the next relationship. Mindfulness practices. You know, I'm a big fan of meditation and yoga, breath work, and then, you know, really getting your boundaries in order, like. They're going to reach out to you. People always do. You're going to want that booty call. You're going to want that kind of digging up bones. You know, there's that old Randy Travis song where he's like, digging up bones, I'm digging up bones, exhuming things are better left alone, that stuff. Yeah, you're going to want to do that. So if that person, your, your partner, your ex-partner is doing that, then know that they're also in part of the grieving process, but you don't have to receive it. 
one thing that is really beautiful is when you can end a relationship while acknowledging the good things that were had, the good memories, and not toss that in the context of also knowing that it's not right to move forward. Yes, we had these beautiful things, and also it's not right for me to move forward is a nice blend. So you do have the biological detox, and for that one, you know, every time you sleep with your ex, you reset the clock on the biological detox. And that's the one thing that I would say is no, no booty calls if you really want out. So overcoming sensory addiction is a process and it can take a long time to move fully on from a past relationship. But, you know, if it's been a year or two years and you're still not over it, then something else is probably in the way. So you might want to, in that case, uh, really dive into trauma work for yourself, uh, looking at past traumas, childhood traumas, other experiences of leaving, being left, being valued uh, that, are, that are at work for you. I'm going to include some links in the show notes to some of the researchers on breakups, divorce, and moving on, including Helen Fisher, Dr. Helen Fisher, who wrote this wonderful book, Anatomy of Love, A Natural History of Mating, Marriage, and Why We Stray, uh, Gary Lewandowski, who's a professor of psychology at Monmouth University and is the founder of scienceofrelationships.com. Um, Eli Finkel from Northwestern. He's got a wonderful research lab on these subjects. And Dr. Bella DiPaolo, who does a lot on breakups and divorce, including writing about singles, which is uh, the life of singlehood. Like maybe you are breaking up and you're moving on and you don't intend to uh, find another mate. Maybe you're entering into a time of being single, which is a whole nother post breakup process. So what do you do if you're in the situation that I mentioned in the beginning where you have an ex who is vindictive or harassing or mean or um, coercive in some way, abusive in some way? So I did some research on this for you and why do people do that? That was my first question. A lot of times this anger, resentment, in the relationship as a whole are just kind of coming to a, a head at the end of it. And so it's hurt and betrayal, you know, anything like that that is coming up out of the relationship itself can cause people to lash out and seek revenge because they don't want to feel their own pain. Now, that kind of stuff fades with time if it's not sitting on top of much deeper issues like a need for validation. Like if your worth is tied to being wanted, being in relationship, or if you have personal issues around uh, abandonment or trauma or abuse or self-worth issues, difficulty managing your emotions in other ways that you brought into the relationship, then you know those are gonna show up here in a really scary way. And that's when you know you get all of these behaviors that really hurt someone. You know, we've all seen the, the ex-husband that kills his wife and children or the ex-girlfriend who stalks her ex-boyfriend when he finds somebody else and wounds him physically. But there are a lot of ways short of that, reputationally, in your career, financially, harming people with the children, terrorizing them. There's a couple I know where he's remarried, lovely woman. His ex still, to this day, 
uh, texts horrible things to the new wife. Um, they've had to get a restraining order for the ex's comments and evil things. Could you imagine the stress of that? Like, why? What is the opportunity cost of trying to punish someone who wanted to leave you? Like, your opportunity cost is your own growth and joy. So, no. So, no. Just, just don't do it. If you are on the receiving end of a harassing ex, you have to make it clear that the behaviors of emotionally challenging and difficult behaviors are unacceptable and that you won't tolerate any form of harassment or abuse and be firm and calm in that. And then unfortunately, but fortunately, you have to document everything. Any harassing or abusive behavior, text messages, emails, voicemails, eventually you might need to seek legal protection or a restraining order and take it from me and from the legal experts I consulted for this that you need to do it. And don't engage with them. Responding escalates, gives them the tension that they're looking for. So people who are coercive, they have a philosophy in general that they have the right to you, they possess you, uh, you belong to them, that somehow you're disrespecting or or hurting their self-identity, self-image if you leave them rather than treating you as an agentic, subjective being who has your own attentions and needs, they will make it all about them. So you need as much as possible to just disengage and to not be in the field of that to the extent possible. This is a time to look for emotional support and possibly even legal support if the behavior is particularly threatening or abusive. So you have the right to protect yourself from harassment and abuse because you have the right to leave. And if you're ever overwhelmed or unsafe, don't even pause, even if you feel like you're embarrassed to admit what's going on in your life, to get the help of a therapist or a counselor or a trusted friend or even some of the associations that can uh, help you get through this difficult time. I would recommend Dr. Danielle Citrin's work. She's a professor of law at the University of Virginia, and she's an expert in a particular kind of harassment um, on cyberstalking. So she wrote a book called Hate Crimes in Cyberspace and another one called Cyber Civil Rights. But in general, she has a lot of good advice for you if you're subject to digital stalking. Dr. Brian Spitzberg, who's at San Diego State, He is an expert in the area of interpersonal conflicts and stalking. He also has some ideas um, on what to do if your ex is following you around or interfering with your work and other things like that. Uh, The last one I would recommend is uh, Dr. Karen Rosen from the University of Delaware, um, who talks about intimate partner violence and then later stalking and what the mindsets are behind that and the impacts it has on the person who's trying to leave Now, I do want to add in a little bit about if you're separating and leaving and you still have children at home, best practices in this area is that before you end the relationship, you should have a plan for how you will co-parent the kids. Like if you're in a mature place and you can do that, details about custody, visitation schedules, how you'll communicate about your children's needs, and then being honest with the kids from the beginning on in an age-appropriate way, letting them know why you're separating and then reassuring them that they'll be loved and cared for by both parents. The absolute no, 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 never, never, never is to put the children in the middle. You don't put the kids in the middle of conflicts or disagreements. They are half their father, half their mother. 
and they will always be that. So you put them in an impossible position of rejecting half of themselves uh, when you talk bad about your ex or you try to you know, harm the relationship. It's called parental alienation, and it's an actual legal thing. But you just, if you have nothing nice to say, don't say anything. If you need to keep the children safe from a violent ex, then you just say it's not the right time. It's not safe at this time, but you don't have to elaborate on it. And if you're crying and you're lonely and you're suffering and you're hurting, for goodness sake, don't lean into your children. It's an inversion of the relationship to lean into them and have them support you. And it forces them to grow up a little bit too early. And there are tons of things that you can do to get support on designing a really healthy post-separation or post-divorce co-parenting process. So always, always, always put the children first and take care of yourself because you're going to be emotionally drained. Do your self-care and make choices that are in the kids' best interest, even they're difficult for you. It's never easy, but putting the kids first is really a critical thing. So that's my, that's my little plea for anybody to take the higher ground and be gracious and consider the children's long-term well-being. You know, I want to zoom out also um, as we sort of wind up this more educational component of this. A lot of information in a very short time, I know. But when you zoom out, there's a lot of talk, particularly in the spiritual community, around um, karma theory and soul contracts. And I want to say that the concept of karma theory is rooted in the belief that every action has a consequence and that the universe will ultimately balance out these actions over time. So in the context of abusive relationships, some people may believe that those who perpetrate abuse will eventually face consequences, either in this lifetime or in further incarnations. Uh, but, you know, that's a really a really weird line. It's like what's allowed the caste system is to believe that your prior life somehow allowed you to be born into a place in society where you could be abused and used. And it has a, a, a danger in it that the karma could condone or excuse abusive behavior uh, or, or mean that the victim of abuse has done something to deserve the abuse they're experiencing. It also suggests that the abuser may be creating negative karma for themselves through their actions, that this negative energy might come back to them at some point in the future. It's kind of a a long arc deterrent, you know, like the invisible stick, I suppose. But sometimes it's used to excuse or justify abusive behavior. You can just use karma theory as a reminder that our actions have consequences. And maybe that will be a deterrent or help you do karmic separation or karmic divorce. And and just in the off chance that it's true that you will have later suffering, if that helps, great, I'm glad it helps. But mostly the golden rule, do unto others as you would have done unto you, applies here as well. So sometimes when I am feeling cranky or irritated by a person, I use a practice called metta which is a kind of kindness and empathy meditation. Um, it's a little bit of a prayer. It's uh, a way of sitting and sending loving kindness to people, particularly those that you have conflicts with. And it's possible that prayer or meditation can shift the dynamics in abusive or difficult relationships or accelerate forgiveness as we move through a period of ending. This can really help you promote your own inner peace and calm and healing, uh, 
probably won't change an abusive person's behavior overnight or cause them to suddenly become more compassionate or empathetic, but stranger things have happened that I have found often that when I do my own healing and when I do my forgiveness work, that it ripples out rather quickly to create a change in the dynamics in the field. So prioritize your own safety and well-being. You don't have to mythologize or try to understand it from a larger perspective, but you can zoom out. You can also probably, when you zoom out, um, begin to take it less personally and witness things that are transgenerational or patterns that are in society, like women using men for certain things or men growing tired of women as they age. These are patterns that are social cultural and and widespread so it's not really personal to you you can look at it how you're replicating potentially patterns in your family of origin and then finally use it as an opportunity to uh, heal that and say it ends with me my favorite quote these days is around free will that we're not born with free will but that we earn free will when we begin to exhume, examine, evacuate the patterns that we're born with, we become aware of what's working in our thoughts, in our mind, body, soul. And then when we become aware of those, then we can say, oh, I think I'll choose differently. But until we become aware, we don't have free will. So I want to encourage you that if you're making a separation, particularly from a long arc thing, I want you to know you have the right to leave. You have the right to leave. You have the right to leave with respect and grace and as little conflict as possible. You have the right to enjoy your life. And I'll go back to the Tony Hoagland poem from the beginning. Imagine this as a time of breaking free, blasting off, and finding something new in your beautiful incarnation and wishing the same for the other person. It's a time to grow, a time to thrive, a time to prosper, and to be tender and loving and compassionate and respectful with each other as you're doing that to the extent that you can. Thanks, guys, for joining me. If you're new to the show, I'm Christine Marie Mason. I'm the founder of Rosebud Woman, an intimate wellness brand that offers topicals and ingestibles and beautiful plant-based organic formulas to help life in a body become even more enjoyable than it already is. Pleasure, intimate and sexual wellness, body care products, lifestyle stuff. And this show is part of that, part of the mission of Rosebud Woman to bring more freedom uh, from taboo, more love, more liberation alive in the world to get us thinking a little bit differently possibly to create more of a sense that our bodies and souls are holy, that we're connected to the soil and to the cosmos as part of one enlivened entity, and that being alive uh, and enjoying our life is really one of the core missions of life in a body. So come and check out uh, Rosebud Woman at rosewoman.com. I have some new products that just launched, particularly two gummy formulations, one with kava for pain, inflammation, and anti-anxiety, the purest Hawaiian kava rosin straight from the Big Island, and kana, a South African plant that you can learn more about, which is a heart opener. So rosewoman.com, and as always, you can find me at the.rose.woman on Instagram, 
appreciating you and wishing you all the best. As a final note, if you're like me and you're a music junkie and you are in the middle of a breakup, go to Spotify and put in Breakup Mix and they will customize a series of songs for you that are within your sort of genres you like that speak to this theme. Or look at some of the moody breakup lists like Empowering Breakup Mix playlist or Angry or Peaceful or Forgiving and there are tons of them. It's such a common human experience. But let us leave consciously because something beautiful is waiting for you. I know it to be true.